Welcome to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. This podcast tackles the hottest topics for the European accountancy profession. Get your need-to-know update from Brussels. Welcome back. We're looking at corporate governance again today. So far, we've covered how corporate governance can lead the shift to more sustainable business practices and possibly change the direction of our economy away from climate catastrophe. We've looked at what needs to change and how. We've covered the role that accountants can play to inform strategic decision making. We've discussed with the OECD their strategy to urge sustainable corporate governance on a global level as the pandemic slowly recedes. The EU as well is advocating a green recovery. So how do we get there? Collective change takes time and requires buy-in from all sides. And the changes that need to happen are within individual companies. Without this buy-in, we can't expect to get beyond business as usual. This is why I'm very pleased to welcome Karim Hajar, Chief Financial Officer of Solvay. Solvay is a Belgian company that has a 200-year history and is a global leader in material solutions and chemicals. Karim has first-hand experience in orchestrating a more sustainable mindset at Solvay, engaging with environmental, societal, and governance, or ESG, issues. He will share with us Solvay's experiences of integrating sustainability into its business practices. Karim, can you please introduce yourself? Good morning, Andra. Good morning, everybody. As Andra says, my name is Karim Hajar. I am the CFO. I'm, I'm in my late 50s. I'm ethnically diverse, let's say. I'm Lebanese, English, and Italian, but have been in Europe for the vast majority of my uh, professional existence, at least. And I'm really privileged and honored to be here today to talk about value creation. Can I ask also if you have an experience in the finance function, what your background is around kind of accountancy profession? Mm, of course. So I'm a UK chartered accountant. I'm a member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants for Invinden, Wales. That was in my distant <laughs> memory. And I've spent most of my professional life, in fact, the first 10 years of my professional life was as a, an accountant in a firm of accountants called Grant Thornton. Was a young partner in that firm. And then I moved into industry. Largely because I was wondering whether I could practice what I was preaching, what I was advising. That I could never answer that question unless I crossed the fence. And so I've had a career spanning companies like Shell, you know, globally working in different territories, Anglo-American, and then Solvay in the last seven years. We often talk about how accountants are in every aspect of the business, is that when you qualify as an accountant, it gives you a skill set that helps you to have the strategic thinking and the know-how where you can contribute to all levels of business. And finally, as CFO. So why are you so passionate about ESG, environmental societal governance issues? Well, I am and I'm not. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I'm passionate about creating value. What I realized, and again, very late in the day, and apologies for that, but four or five years ago, I realized that value meant more than profits, cash, and returns. And the reason I really woke up to that fact is my son, Nabil, who's now 25 years old, actually works for firm of accountants in London. And he said to me five years ago, Dad, what are you doing in Solvay? Have you seen how much CO2 they're emitting? I said, yes, and what are you doing about it? And I spilled, you know, these are our strategies. Here's what we're, how we're tackling essentially climate change, although we didn't call it that at that time. And he listened to me politely and came back and says, what are you doing about it? And he went on and on, and I realized I was just 
giving the corporate positioning, but I wasn't necessarily sure I was playing my full part. And that was the beginning of me being uncomfortable with the choices I'd made and thinking, maybe I need to revisit what I do fundamentally and look for the legitimacy as a CFO. What can I do legitimately that brings value, not because I want to, not just to feel good, but he's the reason I got involved. It's completely changed the way I look at my role completely. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how being willing to be uncomfortable is often what is the decider one way or the other, because it's very easy to do this whole business as usual way of thinking where we've done things a certain way. We've, you know, maximized profit for shareholders, and that's a very understood, easy to navigate system, but it's looking beyond that into the value beyond profit and the willingness to say, okay, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to maybe frustrate a few shareholders who don't understand why we're going in this direction. And I'm going to push myself to think differently, but it's there where the more fundamental changes happen rather than the surface changes. So it's interesting to see that being willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah, and what you're saying is so real. But again, for me, it was even deeper than that because it started a reflection of what is my own personal purpose? What, why do I exist? And I finally took a lot of effort, a lot of work, but I believe I've defined my personal purpose in life and it resonated. I need to have an impact on people and on the planet in order to feel that I'm fulfilling my, my life's purpose, let's say. And that's what resonated without becoming, with all due respect, a tree hugger who thinks about sustainability. That is not at all what it's about. It's all around the push and the pull, the tension between financial delivery, but responsibly, sustainably. And that's the path I've been trying to navigate. And I find that easy because it meant, I'm not saying we didn't frustrate shareholders, but it felt navigating a path that embarked shareholders rather than provoked, challenged or frustrated them. For you personally to have the revelation that this is how you needed to live your life, that doesn't necessarily everyone mean that everyone changes with you. So implementing this mindset in a very large company must be a very big shift in the mindset to consider ESG, to consider non-financial matters at the core of the company's business. How do you manage that kind of cultural shift? How do you bring people with you and bring the company to change the company as a whole? This is a wonderful question. The reality is I had the privilege of working in companies, uh, Anglo American, uh, certainly survey where sustainability is part of the DNA. So I wasn't bringing anything new. When I first came to Solvay, the sustainability team was saying we should do integrated reporting. And I refused. I said, no, why? I don't like greenwashing. I don't want just want to tell good stories. So, so I pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. When I finally saw the light, as I said, a little too late, perhaps, it was very easy because ultimately there was a sigh of relief by others, at least in certain parts of Solvay, the sustainability team and the business team said, yes, it makes sense. But it did create a bit of a surprise. This is why is cream all of a sudden changed so much from being a not a resistor, but neutral on that topic. It was somebody else's job to being a strong, very strong advocate who wasn't going to take no for an answer, wanting to leverage on the competencies, the discipline, the processes of finance to improve how we integrate ESG into our decision making. And that's where I would say I had resistance, but there was surprise. 
But honestly, the, again, Solvay, I think, is very mature in that regard because so much so that the CEO of the time said, well, since you're, there's clearly a lot of value we can bring, he also made me responsible for sustainability as well as CFO for a period of two, three years. And that was a wonderful experience because we could integrate the way of thinking. So again, that was part of the journey. We find the whole idea of the integrating the non-financial and financial information very core to how businesses give an accurate picture of what they're doing. And right now, like you say, it's very easy to greenwash by just showing the good that you do as a company. There's not an easy way to show a frank picture. And oftentimes not a lot of incentive to show this frank picture of like, okay, yes, our profits are great, but oh dear, deforestation, you know, like the, that kind of balance of things. As a CFO, what kind of challenge did you face with this kind of ways of showing the negative sides of what the business was doing and, and how to improve that? There's a couple of things that come to mind. One is it requires courage. Even before we talk about being totally honest and transparent, let's say, and before that, there's something else around non-financial indicators, the science is not as precise, not as advanced. You're looking at shades of gray. And I, I went to the school of accuracy. You know, you add numbers, they balance, etc. So, and that was incredibly tough. So we insisted on having our non-financial indicators audited. And the first part of the discomfort that comes is we didn't get a perfect score. Everything's great. There were areas. So that took some doing for the audit committee as well to say, yep, okay, let's go public and show that we're not perfect, to your point. And we did that. And I'm very, very proud that we had the uh, foresight and temerity. I think that's what it's about. When we adopted TCFD, Task Force Climate Related Financial Disclosures, we were one of the first early adopters. We didn't have all the answers, but we said, we're looking, we don't have the answers. And again, I'm proud, but again, I'm not gonna say it takes courage that we're brave, but it wasn't easy. Yeah, I felt, my goodness, am I going to get beaten up for exposing ourselves to a risk from a corporate reputation beaten up for exposing us to risk? And I thought, well, let's take a chance. I think people might hopefully value the honesty and the intent than beat you up. So, so far, I don't have, we don't have too many bruises, thank goodness. But there is still a tendency in business, so we included. Now, we want to put our best foot forward and we minimize the things that didn't quite go as well. And I think there's a journey. I'm not saying we're there by any means, but I'd love to get to the point where we have the courage to do what people like Warren Buffett do. And I love that honesty, that humility that goes with it. So I'm not saying that's a role model, but that's an example of what I would love us to move towards. When things don't go well, it's not because we intended that way. It's because they haven't gone the way we wanted it to. And I don't want to be disrespectful to the efforts. So again, it genuinely is a journey and I hope we're making progress. But it's not up to me to say it. I look for feedback from investors and other users of our reports to give us that. It's interesting to think about that you started this journey five years ago. We see a lot of companies jumping on, some later than others, to this idea that change is the right way and a more sustainable outlook is the right way. We need to look at that in time because the market was much less open to companies who were willing to say, here's where we are. This might not be perfect, but here's our plan to get to better, right? Very interesting that you started this five years ago and probably where you got to now, you're like, well, if we just started now, <laughs> everything would have been fine because the market was ready for it. It must be gratifying to see that people have come with you in a way. <laughs> I think there's something very, very real. 
the world today is so different than it was five, even three, two years ago. It is dramatic. And I'll give you a very specific personal experiences. We define value five years ago as profits, cash returns, and then our impact on the climate, on the planet, people, society. And we have very clear KPIs, targets, ambitions. And we initially refused to talk about value without looking at the full picture. And the first time I talked about that to analysts and investors, you know, back in 2016, I believe it was, people were politely looking at their blackberries when I started talking about things like CO2. They were not engaging. So I thought, oh, but we kept at it. And every investor interaction, we would put one or two topics of that nature on the table. People politely nodded and then went back to what's going to happen in the next quarter or profit, whatever. Now it could not be different. It is dramatic. I'm going to say that at least half of our investors are asking, are talking, and more than tick the box, there's data, there's questioning, there's a willingness and a desire to understand. So I'm very, very encouraged by that. And I think this is only the beginning. I think there's so much more to go. However, we're lacking a common language, a common way of measuring and comparing, contrasting. And I think there's so much more to be done on here some ideas that we had in the paper, 10 ideas to make corporate governance a driver of a sustainable economy, was the role of CFO. It's originally thought of by Mervyn King, but to become this chief value officer and with broader understanding of what value means, what do you think of this? Can you see your role evolving? Has it already evolved? It sounds like for a little while there you were doing both. So what would that mean for you? I find the term quite thought-provoking, if not to say provocative. I think the CEO is the chief value creation officer, without a doubt. How do you define value? I think clearly the CFO is a very clear architect to support that conversation with facts, to make sure we're the part of the CEO in driving the value creation in the business and we make decisions on the one hand. We're also the interface with public markets as to bringing the facts to support the conversation on value creation beyond the financials. So I love the intent, but I would not wish to pretend that the CFOs are the value officers. I think the CEOs are, but it's a partnership. And getting the language, the definition of value, yes, we have a very clear role to play. Part of it is about adapting and complying with regulatory requirements that are evolving very fast. Take the EU taxonomy as an example. The other side of it is responding to the, what I'm going to say, the pull of the markets. And investors increasingly curious and demanding, and that's wonderful as well. So we have a significant role to play. It's inescapable. Absolutely, because value creation as a concept and where the non-financial aspect comes into that, that's something that we work on a lot of the time. And the fact that there isn't yet global standard in the same way that there is for financial reporting. Financial reporting is so traditionally understood. People know what you're talking about if you're talking about a financial report. If you're talking about a non-financial report, what are the metrics? You know, what are you measuring? And is it based solely on how you treat your employees? Non-financial is so broad, it's hard to pin down to just one area. But I think you begin to touch on it there and the fact that the non-financial information, although movement is happening, we don't necessarily have a clear set of guidelines on the reporting. So what more needs to happen to improve sustainable and responsible value creation? Well, how long do we have? 
Let me just maybe share one thing, which, well, there's a couple of things. I start with the fact that there is real change to my IFRS standards. So the IFRS Foundation, I believe, has asked Clara Barbie, who's the chief executive of the uh, Impact Management Project, to drive the standard setting under the auspices of the IFRS so that we will have standards. Yep, it will take time, but nevertheless, standards are on the way. Some exist already, but they're not necessarily enforceable, common, but... It is going to happen, and the sooner, the better. But if I look at your question differently, if we're really after sustainable value creation, a very simplistic analogy I'd like to offer, and again, apologies if it's overly simplistic, I like the idea of value creation, sustainable value creation being a three-legged stool. You cannot sit on a stool that has two legs sustainably. It has to have three. What are, so what are the three legs? Regulators, standard setters, compelling, requiring, setting the standards, really key. Companies, on the one hand, issuers of capital, complying, being transparent, acting to create sustainable value, and investors using the information. So if you don't get the three entities working together, I don't believe we'll get sustainable value creation. I love the fact that standard setters are moving in that direction. I completely embrace uh, welcome also the development towards, for example, what the World Economic Forum, the International Business Council, putting forward 22 KPIs on ESG. We've adopted them. We can't answer them all, but we're on the way. So if we can come up with a common language that investors, asset managers, the trillions that are at play, say this is how we're going to assess, that to me is wonderful news. You know why? Because ultimately, I believe that progress that can be measured, audited, trusted, on a way that is comparable, will lead to differentiated share prices in the markets. I am a capitalist at heart, responsibly so. And I think that will motivate companies to do better quicker because there is urgency. And so my fear is, with take the IFRS standard setting, these things take time, understandably. That's not a critique. I believe if investors and companies with regulators can move fast, then that serves everybody's interest. And once I say regulators can move slowly, there's an exception to the rule, and I'm seeing it today with the EU taxonomy. It's breakneck speed. It's wonderful. Very challenging on us. But okay, so the bar is being set very high. I think that's what we need fundamentally to move forward and create real value. But Berryman, I'm not talking about ESG. I'm really talking about sustainable value. The whole system that we have of creating profits needs to be made sustainable. And that's what essentially we're doing is redefining redesigning the system of tomorrow. Have you made any shifts in the way Solvay produces things to try and address this in the kind of core uh, products that you're making in the way that uh, we're asking technology companies now, not for the planned obsolescence, we're asking, you know, replacement parts, make them last more than two years. Have you made any of those sorts of changes already? And are you looking to do anything along those lines just to kind of react to the types of standards we are approaching? No, absolutely. Uh, let me start with, you know, if you impact the pocket, you impact the behavior. So the first thing one also I would encourage people to look at is, are we coherent in remunerating, for example, on climate, remuting the executives, the businesses for making progress, yes or no? That, that will tell you something. So, of course, we do that. So you create the conditions where people feel it's okay. Actually, it's necessary. That's on the one hand. 
The second point is every single investment decision we make imputes the cost of CO2 as an example. And when the price was five, seven, eight euros a ton in Europe, we applied a cost of 25. When it went up to 15, 20, we doubled it to 50. Now that it's in the 40s, we're saying, well, how far we're going to take it? Integrating that cost, even in economies for investments, let's say in the US, where the cost is zero in the market, because we're thinking forward. That's at one level. More importantly, we look at something like 2,000 different products of Solvay applications in the market, and we ask ourselves very factually, what is the economic impact and are we responding to the societal needs? So are we lightweighting? Are we reducing emissions? So that all these questions are very, very factual. The good news as a CFO here is we, we know that 52% of our products and solutions are when we call them green in the sense that they have very low impact and they serve the needs of, let's say, lightweighting, mobility, you know, so low, low carbon footprint because we basically subscribe to science-based targets. Now, that's half the story. The other half that I'm really motivated by as a CFO is I can demonstrate that over three years compound average growth rates our products in that 52% grows by 5% more than the rest of our portfolio. So what's good for the planet, for society, actually is good for the bottom line. It's virtuous. So it's very, very uh, self-fulfilling. So we, we can actually improve the PL and the impact, but it takes effort, it, it takes determination, and it does, however, mean you can't do it all in one go. It's about managing the tension. We can't overinvest to do everything in one or two years and destroy our business model. So for those who might expect more, I'm saying to you, we're genuinely conscious that some things do take time. We're doing our best to manage the time of the transition as well. Was there anything we, we failed to cover? Anything else you'd like to touch upon? I uh, simply want to thank you for allowing me the most to share these experiences. And I really look forward to uh, seeing many other CFOs, finance professionals, play their full role. If those of you who, like me, have been hesitant, please don't wait the 30 years it took me to wake up. Um, do it quickly. We need you. We all need you and we all stand to gain. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting apps. Get in touch. We are at AccountancyEU on Twitter, and you can contact me at Andrea at AccountancyEurope.eu. This podcast is presented and edited by Andrea Campbell with support from Yulia Keys. Our music is Fearless First by Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons license. See you next time, because people count.